0: On this episode of A State of Control, we talk about AV programmers and their career paths. How have we gotten to where we are, and what are the different options for moving forward? All that and more on A State of Control. The
1: network for the AV industry.
0: What are you
1: listening to?
0: This. This is AV. This. This. This is Is AV Nation. Nation. This is AV Nation. A.V. Nation is brought to you by Atlona, the go-to provider for A.V.
1: signal distribution and control in corporate, higher education, and residential spaces. Learn more at atlona.com. A state of
0: control.
2: A state of control.
0: A State of Control, Episode 105, Always Be Learning. Welcome to A State of Control, an AVNation podcast that highlights the control programming and automation aspects of the audiovisual industry. My name is Steve Greenblatt. I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. On today's show, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, career paths and where what's available for AV programmers and also how... Um, and Navy programmers should think about what uh, what what's their next step, or or perhaps uh, you know staying doing what they're doing is the, their chosen path. So we'll get into all of that, and uh, with us to talk about that or two returning guests, and we'll um, talk with them in a bit. And before we do, get to say hi to my partner here at a state of control, Rich Fargosa. How are you, Rich? It's going good, brother. All right. We're on our pushing towards Infocom very quickly, a couple
1: of weeks away. So it'll be good to be in the same physical space with you. I'm looking forward to that. That'd be great. And we're not underwater anymore. So like for the first I think three days in a row I got
0: sunlight. So I'm I'm pretty happy. Welcome to the rest of the world. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh uh, in addition to Rich, we have uh, two returning guests, as I mentioned, and they're actually both on the same show on episode 80, which is really cool. Um, but and The last the last time we spoke to our first guest uh, was ep- episode 101, and he is Brian McGrogan from Varex. Welcome back, Brian.
3: Thank you very much for having us, Steve. It's great to be back. It's great to talk to all of you. I can't wait to have a, a good conversation and some good laughs.
0: Absolutely. And last but not least, uh, you may also know him from uh Podcast that we co host together, which is certainly one that this audience should tune into, um, called Ask the Programmer. Um, He is James King and he is from the School of Medicine at UNLV.
2: Welcome, James. Thank you, Steve. It's great to be here with Brian, Rich, and uh, yourself.
0: As I mentioned at the top, um, you know, AV programmers kind of get to being doing programming from a lot of different paths. Um, Some have programming background and are intentional about it. Others um, look at it as maybe a, a stepping stone, moving from a, a, a technician role to a programmer role, or from a, maybe a project manager role to a programmer role. And and then there are some that just end up being the one that has to get a job done, and you become the programmer. So I hope everybody can kind of relate to those different scenarios, um, but. Uh, In in all the cases, you have kind of a choice as to what you want to do, um, but everybody's experiences can be quite different um, depending on the market that you're in, depending on the type of projects you do, and and we'll kind of talk about all of those. Um, But Rich, I I wanted to just kind of start by just talking about um, how really important is it for an AV programmer to have a path, or is it okay to just really be comfortable doing what you're doing, uh, get really good at it and, and kind of be that guy or gal.
1: Well, you know, I mean, I think it's really for any industry, right? I mean, if, if you're going to be a stockbroker, you know, if you're going to be a mechanical engineer, if you're going to be an electrical engineer, you know, it's, it's, there's a certain point where you have to decide, you know, not only the nuts and bolts of what you do um, and, and your craft but also, you know, honestly, the things that are going to make you happy and the things that are going to continue to make you money. And it does depend on where you're living and your age and your goal set. I mean, I know that, you know, at 21, uh, my plan and, and kind of what I decided my trajectory was going to be is completely different as a middle-aged guy with, you know, two kids and a house and, and everything else. I, I, I think that one sets you up for the other. Where you then have the decision um, to say hey i want to keep what i'm doing and expand on that or you know switch or you know i mean that's that's the beauty of youth right and in in that part and i think that's where we're talking necessarily where you've got kind of the groups right you've got somebody who's breaking into the industry somebody who's maybe at that midpoint in the industry where they're they're uh you know kind of deciding do they take that next step are they happy where they're at and then the other side of the industry, which is, okay, I've kind of accomplished the things that where I'm at now, are there new challenges available? Or is it time for that reach one, teach one? And and so there's these different stages in kind of your employment path. And I think everybody goes through that during, during their career. Uh, and, you know, uh, but for programmers, <laughs> that really is the interesting part, because you have to kind of look at yourself and decide, You know, you know, if I got into programming, do I get into programming because I like working by myself? I'd like, you know, me against the machine and being the problem solver and that, you know, kind of that focus, you know, the guy behind the keyboard in all the movies. Right. Um, You know, do I like do is that does that fulfill me Um, and are my management and social skills and and, and all of those other skills um, are those skills that I want to build? Um are those skills that I have? are those skills that I honestly decide that you know that's not me. I'm not necessarily the people person. um you know i'm the I, I'm the machine person. Um, so those really do lay out those foundations, which you can be a fantastic programmer, but software changes quickly. and so it's not like being a, a co-worker. it's not like being a locomotive engineer, you know I mean, those were. You know, those those trajectories were long and there wasn't a whole lot of change in the industry. I kind of look at it as like when we started out as a factory worker, like in a car factory, right? Um, you know, my I had family who in the 70s worked at the big fork plants, you know, and they were really specialized and really good at what they did. That was less than 50 years ago. Those are not done by humans anymore. Like much less, you know, other people to pass it on, but, you know, sentient beings aren't even doing it. So, you know, and that that... But there was there was that period of time in between, you know, from, you know, World War II to, you know, to the mid 70s, 80s, right before that changed over. That was a good chunk of time. We don't have those timelines anymore in the software world. And so in a software world, the flexibility for this generation, uh, you know, that that, one of the things you used to laugh, right, is like when you were our age, if there was a gap or if you uh, job skipped, that was frowned upon. Right. That was seen as a mark against you right you couldn't stay somewhere long enough you didn't have the longevity if you look at the resumes of you know the millennial and the gen z you know that's kind of the point of pride right cuz they are leveraging themselves and I, and i'm really glad about that because i think this generation of programmers doesn't necessarily have the guilt <laughs> that that we had we always had we, we always had that inferiority complex at times of like you know who is that oh that's just the, the XYZ guy you know that's the programmer right always oh, used to be the guy who came in with the laptop and sat on the paint bucket right I mean all four of us at one point in our career were the people that the salespeople and the engineering team and everybody pointed to and who's that oh don't worry about that that's just the programmer right? sitting there typing away on the paint bucket, you know, while they're, you know, finishing floors around us and stuff. Um, This generation of programmers doesn't necessarily have to deal with that. And I'm glad for that. I'm glad that they can come in and decide that their worth is, you know, I I provide a separate skill set of services. I deal with um, solutions and and so yeah and so they can leverage themselves instead of being locked in and paying your dues, which we all did. That, that's what we all felt we had to do. This generation coming up, no, I, it's not that you don't have to pay your dues. It's just that they understand that as they build their skill set, they are valuable and they should be marketing that value to a place that's going to appreciate them, where they can gain the income and everything else. So, kind of bringing this all back in the long story, I you know I I think that this generation of software programmers has the ability to give themselves lots of options and not feel stuck or trapped in a position they can very quickly change their stars if they want to and and that's kind of exciting you know it's it's i'm glad to see after all these years that this this next group has has a, has the opportunity
0: james I'll, I'll shift over to you because you are somebody who recently uh, kind of changed your career trajectory starting out really from it getting into av getting into programming now getting into management so talk a little bit about that maybe what was the thought process behind it and how much um, programming now plays in your roles or what you think your future is headed toward
2: yeah i did do a lot of changes over the year in my career Uh, but i want to tack on to that where my end goal, like where I envisioned myself going to was management. Um, so that was always something I saw myself going to, I actually never saw myself in AB or being an AB programmer, um, kind of like everyone else we've, I've got thrown into it. And then my boss is like, here, figure this out, make it work. And that's what I was doing. So I do enjoy the programming part. And I have to say, Rich, you got a paint bucket. I never was that lucky. (laughs) Um, I sat many times on the floor. But yes. um, So that was always my goal was to get into management some way, somehow. And that's one thing I like about higher higher education. It allowed me to span. I wasn't just a programmer. There also was an installer. I was also a designer. In fact, where I was, I was, I was very fortunate that I worked in an environment that we did 99% of the stuff in-house. Um, the only time that we went outsourced outside of ours was when we didn't have the bandwidth or the resources to do the job. Um, and normally those were the jobs we were fixing uh, later. Um, so I was fortunate enough there but I also want to hit on something that rich has mentioned is yeah a lot of times the programmer is oh you know don't worry about the man behind the curtain or the person behind the curtain uh don't worry about them they they're, they're just going to do their magic and that's it but the pro- the thing is now is programmers are 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 becoming head hunted companies are seeing like well rich is doing this for company z you know hey rich we'll pay you 5% more. Come work for us. And then Rich does that. And he does something great for a company. Y, And then company A hears about it and be like, Hey, Rich, we'll pay you 5% more. Come work for us. And so, yeah, that changing jobs quickly is happening because they're being headhunted. We talked about that in higher ed is if you're in a area where there's a lot of colleges, colleges are seeing that they've seen techs, not just program, but just your techs and be like, well, James is doing this for the School of Medicine at UNLV. We could reuse him at the this school. So we're gonna try to pull him over. So you are definitely seeing a lot of that headhunting now, I feel.
0: Brian, I, I I do want to um follow up on what James said, but I but also you, you have you have a um a, a nice progression story too that you could talk to and and I could say that I was personally part of it at one point when you and I met quite a number of years ago. Now, um, you're, I believe a field engineer and I was doing programming and now you're leading programmers. So I, I guess, you know, talk a little bit to that and also what, um, what, what, what ha- is, uh, I think one of the driving factors toward your desire to pursue
3: that. Yeah. I mean, just kind of like you said, I started as an on-site technician, bottom of the ladder, you know, let's run around and service these rooms and, uh, very quickly, I saw, you know, this magic behind the scenes of this touch panel of that talks to all these different pieces. And I kind of saw in my career path that I had to go through being an install tech, you know, being a field engineer before I could get there. You know, and I, I feel like all of that has helped build my skill set so that I can understand a lot of what's happening behind the scenes and a lot of the way that hardware works in not just in a lab environment right but in a real world scenario how it actually works which allows me to think a little bit different about it which and and that kind of set me on my trajectory um and then getting to the programming side of things right like starting with these small jobs and then all of a sudden getting thrown at a massive project with four-way divisible space having never done the divisible space and being scared sitting there of okay, all right, I'm going to make this work. And, you know, we're, we're going to get through it. So, but yeah, I mean, you and I worked early on when you were actually programming and it was awesome. You know, I have a lot of mentors along the way, which have been very helpful seeing the way that other programmers work, seeing the way that, you know, other things are done. And that's been extremely helpful. But I think, you know, the driving factor behind all of that is, this is what I enjoy doing, right? This is what gets me up in the morning what gets me to my desk you know and i enjoy talking to people i enjoy the creativity that we get in a lot of cases where i feel like a lot of programmers in other industries don't have that necessarily creativity side of it i love the touch panel design side so i can be creative there and making oddball pieces of equipment talk together that were never meant to talk together so it you know it it just keeps my interest and keeps me engaged and you know not to say there aren't days where i'm like Okay, we got to make it through this day. You know, we're going to get this project done, and you know, we're going to move on to the next one. But there are also days where it's like, wow, that was a win. That is awesome. I'm so happy I worked on that, and that was just a great project.
2: I I think that's really what draws me to programming as well is seeing the fruit of the labor. Um, To go on what what Brian was saying was, I remember one of the big my one of my first big project where I almost did the whole thing. uh, like from ground up i it was a redesign so i actually did the design i did the ordering the equipment i did the configuring the equipment i did the programming i did the commissioning uh in the salt like my team and i but we worked on that and i remember it was a big space like brian was mentioning it was my first divisible space it was my first space working with dsp my first space working with like true amplifiers not those built-in all-in-one boxes and I remember our first big event there and the CIO was there and one of the administration people were on the microphone and he started yelling to the microphone and it crackled. And I was like, oh, no, I got to fix this. So after the event, I went to the CIO and I'm like, how do you think the room worked? And he response was, it works beautiful. He's like, it's great. I'm like, all right. I was like, I'm a little concerned. The audio got crackled when blah, 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 got loud on the microphone. And my CIO looked me in the face and goes, in the past, when he got loud on the microphone, you couldn't hear a word he said. He's like, at least we heard him. It crackled, but at least we understood what he said. So I was like, wow, that's a win. Like, we went from not hearing to at least crackling, and we fixed the crackling.
3: You touched on another point there, James, right? I feel like AB programmers specifically, we are a bit of a different animal because, like you said, we get to follow the entire process, right? In, in the perfect world, we're involved right at the very beginning and we're involved through the end and then into the service cycle of something. And I feel like that's a lot different than a lot of programmers and, and even a lot of people in the industries where, you know, they have their chunk that they do, but we kind of overarch over the entire project, which I like. I like Following through all of that and seeing the end.
0: Rich, I'll, I'll bring it back around to you, and, and, and I'm sure that there's a lot of different ways that we can talk about this. Uh, one of the things that I'm curious about is what um, we said about um, being able to take different jobs and, and move into different places. How important is it to have a diverse background versus having really just getting really good at one particular thing and, and being focused there? Is that is is there pros and uh, there are pros and cons, of course. But is there um, something that we could advise uh, to those that are listening um, as to ha- how how to navigate their way through a situation like that? Because you obviously, unless you are independent, you're going to, and even those people, you're going to be doing the work that the clients ask of you or that your company specializes in.
1: Well, and and that's exactly it, right? Is that you've got, you know, your first two immediate choices are, you know, do you sign on with a big powerhouse, you know, big powerhouse integrator and become part of a a large team? And there's some benefit to that, um, in terms of learning to work within an organization. They may be the depth and breadth of their projects, you know, you may find yourself in a knock one day and uh, you know, a corporate campus or something the other day, or you go the small route, the boutique route, right? And and there you've got the ability because you have less people, uh, maybe not the ability, I guess the opportunity that you got to wear a lot of hats, and and may, some people thrive on that, right? Some people thrive on being the problem solver. Some people thrive on on that multitasking element. You know, like James and Brian and, and even you were talking about, like we all we all came in. For me, um, you know, I I think that if you're starting in your career, unless you know, it's really rare, unless you kind of. Get in there out of school and you go, wow, I found my home. I found my people. I found everything I want to do. It it can happen, Um, but it's rare. At that point, though, it becomes a matter of, hey, look, you know, if you really want to get good at what you do, getting good at what you do means being able to do it across a a variety of environments. So start out, you know, corporate. But if all you're doing is, say, setting up a, a single huddle space with a nook or something, that's not necessarily flexing your wings. Now you could sit there day in and day out, and maybe you like it because you you go in, you do the same thing, you're in, you're out, you know, you grab a coffee, and away you go. But if you're looking for a new challenge, well, find another company, and and maybe they specialize in education. So maybe now you're dealing with a campus, or you're working at a university, or you know, now you're still taking that same skill set, but in a completely different environment because you're dealing with you know maybe the uh, a campus IT, which is completely different than corporate IT, you know maybe there's an opportunity for, for resi or, or retail, um, or hospitality, you know, it's at that same point, your approach should be the same. It's the stuff that you touch that will be different. But, you know, I know that like when I advise people, I'm one of the few that, you know, I jump in and out from resi to commercial and, 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 and education and, and, but that's over, you know, 30 something years of doing it and blocks of time focused on one and then blocks of time focused on the other and you know it becomes kind of that that riding the bike. I'm grateful for that opportunity because I think they help each other out. You know, when you're too far in commercial and you're dealing with a space, you can forget about the people. And when you are in resi, you're so focused on the people, the personalities, and it's their space that you can forget about your process. So, you know, and and that is probably the, the I mean, if there's going to be a difference between the two, that is where you can find your balance. And even, even education, right? You know, again, you're you're dealing with a different subset of personalities and rules and processes. And so the more processes that you can get yourself experience in the more valuable it makes you because you can come in and somebody says, Oh yeah, you know, we're doing this. Yeah. You know, we've done classrooms before, not a problem. Here are the pain points that we ran into and that becomes something that you bring to the party. And that's what you always got to look at, right? Is what do you bring to the party where it becomes a matter of, okay, these are the things that I've done. Is this something teachable? Do I want to teach, you know, or do I just kind of want to focus? Well, if, if, if you have that experience, a breadth of experience, when you come into say see a small shop you can kind of call your own shots at that point if you come into a large organization well then your track you know your education track or your, your your you know maybe you don't necessarily want to be the head of the division but you like the idea of being a project leader right a software project leader where you aren't necessarily doing the dsp programming and the coding and the touch panel design and everything else but you like being kind of that that overlay that helps bring that together. That's a skill set that a sales engineer can't do, right? Because they don't have the technical chops, but you can work with the sales engineer so that the guys in the field, you know, maybe you're the one who wants to save the guys in the field for having to constantly complain about, oh, they just sold this thing again, you know? And and away you go. And so there's a lot, and, and I think it is the sweet spot for the programmer because honestly, you could, you know, pick up the engineering side of it if you wanted to, because you have to deal with those boxes anyway. And you can also deal with the design and the sales side of it because you have to deal with those boxes anyway. Um, and so that really does become the And again, I mean, I've seen lots of programmers do great at sales because they know what that end result is and they're able to go ahead and, and relay that information. I've also seen, seen them be great PMs because they've gotten so frustrated with what was put upon them that they've been able to implement a process to help you know, that last mile, because that's really is for the programming side, the control system programmers, right? You're always that last mile person, right? You may not get to actually talk to the end user, they may try to push you off to the side, and then everybody comes in to save the day. Um, but you're still there, you're still the one answering the questions, right? And so, um, you know, I think I, I, I do like that, because I think you can do both. I think you can be good at what you do by expanding um, the, the width and, and the breadth of your experiences. Uh,
0: Brian, I'll, I'll take this from another angle too, because I think what Rich said is really important. And I think that there's something to be said for being able to be put in different place, positions and different roles, but also dealing with different types of systems, even though it's all programming. How important is it to have uh, different exposure and experience with languages or, or different products that you normally wouldn't work with?
3: I think obviously the more diverse your portfolio is, or the more diverse your knowledge is across product lines, across programming languages, makes you more valuable right, and makes you kind of better at what you do, um, for lack of a better term there. But especially in today's world where we have to pivot all the time, right, that a sales engineer might have sold your control system X, and by the time we get to installation, control system X is 12 months out. We have to go with control system Y. And so how do I get myself there? And the answer to that, honestly, is always be learning, right? You you always have to keep on top of everything. And so having the knowledge across the different levels of platforms and not only, you know, your control system platform, but the DSP platforms, you know, the different different aspects that have to be done. I feel like a lot of my time I don't want to quite say 50% of my time, but a good chunk of it, 35, 40% of my time, is working with technicians, working with end users about different pieces of the system that aren't necessarily mine, but I have to understand them and I have to know how to go in and change them to show the problem's not here or, you know, to rectify the problem we're going to do it here. And, And it's kind of put back on me to prove that it's not me. So... Without having the knowledge of all the different product lines, I don't want to say that I would fail, but I certainly, you know, wouldn't be able to get those jobs across the finish line as easily. So I think it's extremely important to have a diverse skill set and have a diver- understanding of a diverse set of systems. Rich, Rich said something really good in, in terms of the difference between commercial and resi, right? And commercial, it's really easy to forget about the people. And in Resi, it's really easy to forget about the process. And I, I've i done a couple, you know, Resi favors for people recently and remembering the person, right? Remembering the, the fact that, you know, while in a commercial environment, this is not gonna be 100% tailored to a specific person, but remembering that there is a person coming in to use this and not me, who knows to press buttons two, six and seven, in order to do something and that everybody's going to bring something different to the table is, is huge. So I thank you for bringing that up, Rich. That was, that's really a good point.
0: James, uh, one of the things that I'm a big believer in is that as, as Brian said, always be learning. And I know that you and I have talked about this before. um, How do you go about that? And and is that something that you would expect uh, an employer to be uh, endorsing and, and, providing that opportunity or do you recommend somebody doing that and taking the responsibility upon themselves to do the the work on their time or, or put in at least their share of time to be able to advance their career and potentially be, be doing training, attaining, um, different, Levels of qualifications, let's say, to allow them to advance.
2: Great question, and my answer is yes, and yes. Um, I know we've talked about this, and we have hinted on it with uh, as a programmer as well. But always be learning. I that's a hashtag I use all the time on Twitter. I'm always learning whatever I can. Um, the thing is, let's just even look in the true IT world and programming world at uh, cobalt cobalt was a dead language all cobalt programmers got fired got laid off if they didn't have a skill set to go to something else they were out of a job um uh, we see that all the time in it where things quickly change you either got c plus plus c sharp java javascript like everything is changing um and AV is starting to get there now, especially AV programming with going into the Python and the C-sharp and the all those common languages. So if you don't learn, if you don't apply new skills, you're going to end up like the Cobalt programmers without a job. Uh, so it's definitely important to always be learning, always advancing your career. Um, and... When I interviewed for my current position, one of the things I talked about was I wanted professional development for myself and my team. Um, And the company backed that. Um, So I'm like pushing my team right now. I I have two outstanding techs on my team full time. I have student workers on my team. And I'm sharing all resources I can with them. In fact, I just learned the other day, one of my student workers went and got BIAMP training on the 101 and the Tessera. So he's actually certified in BIAMP. I never asked him to do it. I just provided the links to them. Uh, Appreciate it. And this is a good skill set for him. Uh, And then I have other techs who are going to other, like, the net plus and security plus because that's stuff they're interested in so i'm fostering that with them i'm like this is great do it but if you're in a job that will not pay or will not foster it it's then it is on you because you should always be learning and you're gonna set yourself up to a position that is gonna get you there um like i've told people it's don't I I know the saying is if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. I, I, I kind of disagree with that to a point. It depends on the room. Because if we're sitting in a room right now, all four of us in a room, I agree. We're all programmers. If you're the smartest programmer in the room, you're probably in the wrong room because you're not learning. But if I'm sitting there in a uh education conference room and I have the network administrator i have the programmer myself i have the help desk manager and all that stuff well the network administrator is going to be the smartest person on the networking side i'm going to be the smartest person on the av programming side but i don't know networking i'm gonna learn so that's why i'm like all right it all depends on what the room is um so definitely always be learning and pick up uh, taps i'm more le- i know networking i know deep the- DBAs, I know uh, security, I, am I an expert in them? No, but I can talk the language. And that's why I think as programmers, we really need to be able to do, not just in AB, but in any general, is be able to talk the same language as our network administrators, as our DB uh, DBAs, as the security administrators, uh, however we're communicating, because we are all a team and same goal. and. I I kind of laugh at Brian Rich talking about the Resi and the corporate and how Resi you focus on people, corporate you focus on the process. Higher ed, we're stuck in the middle. We deal with the people and we gotta deal with the process. Um, and that, and each higher ed is different in its general. Like where I was on the East Coast, we were a liberal arts school. We had faculty members, we had tenured faculty. I could sit there and design a room. You're gonna have hundreds of different faculty using that room, but they're gonna be using it all semester. They get familiar with it. I'm now in the medical school. I might have a doctor who's a world heart surgeon who comes in once a year to give a lecture. They don't care how the room works. They want to come in, give their lecture, and they're leaving and going back to the hospital. So that whole getting comfy with the system is not. Something that I'm fortunate enough with all of my faculty members here at the new job. So, our systems have to be easy enough that someone walking off the street can just use the room with little or no help. And then we also do provide that help. And like I said, we do also have those recurring faculty members who teach and all that stuff. Um, so, everyone's different. And like I said, we fall in the middle in higher ed where I got, I have users, I got to deal with my end users, but also I got to process because there are so many wide users. Like at a resi, you, each resi is different, but you know, I could teach rich, okay, you know, here's the buttons you're using to turn on your system. And that, that person's great. They know it. That's they, that doesn't change corporate. You might have to, you know teach a secretary or a business administrator of how to turn on the boardroom for the, the president, but then they get to use, it's the same person. They understand it for higher ed. Like I said, I got a rotational of people coming in. I have people coming from the community. I have faculty, I have deans, I have president of the university. And sometimes wood, we have presidents of the United States coming and giving speeches. So we have a wide range of people.
0: Very well said. And that's a probably a good place for us to stop, but it, this is just a wonderful conversation that I think we all, uh, were able to, to really feel, uh, a part of, and, and also be, relate to in many different ways. And I hope our audience also feels that same way, but please reach out to uh, any of us here. If you'd like to talk a little bit about your situation or anything that, uh, any more insight we could provide, um, with that said, Brian, how can people get in touch with you, learn more about Varex and anything else that you're up to?
3: I mean, as Uncle Richie always says, you can find me on the interwebs at B. McGrogan on all the socials. You can find Varex at Varex.com and learn all about the services that we provide uh, all the way through. Um, and uh, you can reach me at uh, B. at Varex.com.
0: Excellent. And uh, James, how can people get in touch with you, uh, learn what you're up to? Perhaps listen to our uh, uh, our Ask the Programmer podcast and also uh, learn more about the School of Medicine at UNLV.
2: Uh, So, yeah, if you Google me, you'll find me. um, Twitter, AV underscore James King. Anything with HEPMA. um, I am very involved with HEPMA. I do write for the Higher Ed Digital Magazine, the IT and AV column. I see... I'll mention co-host of Ask the Programmer that comes out weekly. Uh, Again, I'm out there. You can find me. I love to connect with people all the time.
0: Take him up on that. And uh, Rich, how can people get in touch with you? And uh, if you have any more uh, closing words that you wanted to share, uh, please do. Well,
1: yeah, I I really do want to reiterate that, um, you know, reach out. Uh, There are... Lots of Twitter groups. There's Facebook groups, obviously. Any individual here, um, but you know, these are the these are the ones that you know. Sometimes you don't know the question asked. Sometimes the just thing to do is introduce yourself and say, "Hey, I've been doing this for a while, and you know, what do you think?" And and you know, tap into those resources. Um, InfoCom's coming up. You know, if if you haven't asked, if you're working for a company, if you haven't asked to go, campaign to go. You know, expand. What you're doing, um, you know, Hepma has things going on. There's there's regional shows that are opening up again. Um, you know, we're seeing the opportunity for you to be out there, and and it is important not only to be working on the nuts and bolts of what you do, but the the social side of what you do and getting out and and meeting other programmers. Because again, once once you can kind of get away from being isolated and and, and on your island, you remember that there's other people in the industry. You build your friendships, and and you know, I mean, Steve and I, decades, you know, at this point, it's come from that. Um, you know, seeing each other and, and, and having that opportunity to just be able to pick up the phone and say, hey, I got something going on. And, you know, business, personal, any of those things, but it's important to have those friendships as well. You know, your, your working environment it's been a great t- deal of your life working. Try to make it as fun as possible, as as I do with Beagles sitting back here. Um, so you can go ahead and find me on the interwebs. Uh, while you can also see the dogs on the interwebs as well. Uh, Fregosadesign.com on Twitter at rfregosa. But first and foremost, as I always say, I hope you find me here on TV with our suite of shows that hit all of our verticals. And please support our sponsors.
0: Well said, and uh, it, it is true, and, and I think that uh, that these friendships go a long way, and, and we all feel very comfortable talking to each other and sharing stories and and I, I rarely find people that are are closed the, it, It's really what makes our, our industry so cool and so uh, welcoming and, and, um, and I think he keeps people in it. Um, for me, you could reach me on at Steve Greenblatt on social media, my company, Control Concepts, at controlconcepts.net. Please, if you uh, do like this show and you want to uh, hear another podcast that's similar, uh, check out Ask the Programmer. Rich was on and uh, did a fireside chat with us uh, for an episode uh, and also uh, shared a little bit about some of his uh, experiences. So check that out. It's a really great episode and one of the, our uh, probably more downloaded ones. Uh, but for um, this podcast and Navy Nation, please go to avnation.tv. Just like Rich said, uh, leave a rating review. Let us know what you think. Um, we're always open to new guests, new show ideas. Please uh, reach out to us about that. We want to expand our horizons and we want to keep on serving this audience. And uh, with that, this has been State of Control.